Lynn Gilliland here, Lessons from Leaders host. In this episode, we're talking with Shamil Idris, who is the CEO in Search for Common Ground. And I specifically asked him to come back to the podcast he's been on before to talk about um, values and culture and values during the time of pandemic. And he talks about what they've done in identifying what are their values and how they are inculcating them in the culture. He also talks about having an enabling environment and an environment that enables diversity of opinions and viewpoints and perspectives. That it's one thing just bringing in people of color or other diverse backgrounds, but then having an enabling environment that everybody can grow. And he, the third thing he talks about, which is very interesting, was how, this is about board relations, how to have a strong relations with a board, with your board during all times, but especially in these times when we're not able to be together physically. It's a really excellent podcast. You're going to enjoy it and uh, let us know your comments. So, hi, I'm Lynn, and I'm here with Shamal, and uh, who is our second time he's been on our podcast. I asked him to come back to talk because he, the last time we talked was pre-COVID, pre-George uh, Floyd's murder, and um, so I wanted Shamal to come back and talk about some of the same topics. I wanted to catch up with you, Shamal, and hear what you've been discovering through all of these last almost a year. So just to start with, how are you doing and how is your staff doing at Search for Common Ground? Great to be back. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, thank you for asking that as well. Um, the staff are doing well. This has been for us and I think for literally billions of people around the world, this has been a particularly difficult year because of the, the pandemic and all the following consequences of that. But thankfully, um, our staff have been uh, healthy for the most part, and we've and we've um, um, and we've made it through organizationally. Uh, we feel very fortunate. We've had uh, a lot of people stepped up in supporting the organization and getting us through last year. Um, and personally, um, you know, I've got two two daughters entering their teen years, and I think being a adolescent girl in this culture is hard enough without you know social isolation and all of that. So it's a, a really challenging time. Um, for them, but but we're fortunate. We, my wife and I both have jobs that we can hold on to. They've both been able to participate. They're old enough to navigate the online space of education. So, so it's challenging, but we're doing fine. Thank you. And are they at home? Are they 100% at home, schooling at home, your daughter? They are. They uh, It looks like one of them will be uh, able to go back part-time uh, in about a week and a half, which is um, very exciting. For everybody so the little things that we didn't like you were and i were talking about earlier that we didn't realize were so precious like being able to go to school in person yeah yeah so one of the intriguing things that i carried away from our last conversation was your thoughts on the organization how important the organizational culture and values are and how you were you and your staff are working on on what are those and how do we maintain them and so I, what I've been hearing a lot about is how do we maintain an organizational culture, even set an organizational, an intentional organizational culture when everybody's remote? And how will we do that 
when we come back to some other kind of work life, when some are remote, some aren't remote. And, and so I wanted to hear what your thinking was on that, what you've tried, what you find successful, what your aspirations are. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, we talked about this a little as part of this in our first conversation. And just to reiterate one element of that uh, that is important for how we've gone forward is that we had uh, been through multiple times over the course of our 35 plus year history um, of articulating the values that undergird our methodology, our program methodology, our externally facing, how we advance our mission. Um, and I think we had, in many ways, we had assumed without necessarily ever stating it, that those values, uh, therefore, are, the, are, are all you need to articulate in terms of articulating your organizational values. Um, any cause-based organization has a set of values that informs the, the, the cause and how, they, how you advance that cause. Um, but I think what ends up happening a lot of times for nonprofits is that um, that value set, um, it shouldn't be contradictory, but it oftentimes is not particularly relevant um, to everyone in the organization in the same way, which is to say it might be hugely relevant to a frontline program staff person who's implementing designing programs, engaging with, with um, partners and communities. It might seem relatively irrelevant to an accountant or a driver or, or you know, a staffer who's not implementing programs. And so we went through this process of really trying to uh, discover and uh, uh, and um, I, I use discover because it's sort of the, the values that already draw people to the organization and already are there, even if you haven't necessarily articulated them. You, you already have an organizational culture. Everyone does, whether they've really defined it or, or not. And there are elements of that culture you really want to celebrate and hold on to and reinforce. And then there may be others that are more aspirational, right? So our process of values uh, uh, discovery was both kind of, I don't know if you call it inductive or deductive, I always get those two confused. Um, but we came up with five through a process of engaging staff at every level of the organization um, um, and, and geographically all around the world. And they were tenacity, um, audacity, mm. um, collaboration, results, and empathy. And, you know, in articulating them, we came up with... Um, uh, you know, we start to come up with sh short, pithy sentences, very action-oriented sentences that made them alive, you know, for, for, for people. And so, um, uh, you know, for us as a peace-building organization, I think probably most peace-building organizations would have something like empathy or collaboration in their value set. Um, there were a lot of people in the organization who worked in multiple places, including in our same field, really felt like, audacity and tenacity were really important values that were very evident at search and that play out in, in, in across departments, you know, in many ways uh, that, that might not be as likely to be the ones that are articulated by, 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 by some of our, our, our peers, but they were very kind of present in the organization. Um, and, and so going through the process of not only identifying these, but kind of putting the language around them and then opening up an organizational conversation of how are we going to really reinforce, celebrate, amplify these in the organization such that, you know, they're not just in everybody's job description. Um, they're not just in the recruitment, um, talent recruitment uh, efforts, but that we, uh, that they get integrated into performance reviews, they get integrated into daily life, they get uh, almost so ubiquitous that people, 
you know, are sick of them in a way because, you know, you can't, it, it, where I want to get us to, and we're not there yet, is that anybody who works for the organization, even if you come in for three months, when you leave, that you, there's the one thing that you remember, if anything else is, oh, yeah, those are the five values, you know, at, at search and they, that they're meaningful and and, um, and that anybody at any level of the organization is, is in a position to, um, to hold the organization accountable, including myself and the leadership. Uh, if decisions are being made or actions are being taken that are not in line with that value set. Um, we did a, one of the mo- wonderful things that we did is, um, you know, we have an annual awards event. Usually it's usually a big event in New York and we gather all of our supporters and we bring some of our staff from around the world uh, to be there. And we celebrate this year. We couldn't do that because of COVID. So we organized a, an online celebration uh, with musical performers uh, and we uh, highlighted five people who supported the organization financially, but in much more than financial ways had really each of them exhibited in very clear and powerful ways, one of those values. Um, and so we did the awards event for people outside the organization around the value set and, and uh, staff and others and, and the, our donor base, everyone who participated absolutely loved it um, and felt much more connected to the organization that that value set is a wonderful one that people feel like can sort of ties them into search. Um, so in any event, we, we are um, working this year to roll these out in lots of ways, having materials, people screensavers, you know, in, in, in kind of daily, um, the, the mundane daily ways that people would come across this value set and the more profound and, and meaningful ways in which they need to be reflected in decisions. Uh, when we are, when we hold our, you know, we'll be doing our all staff, uh, we do an annual global all hands meeting, you know, it's now nearly a thousand people, you know, who get on this call. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll be re- reinforcing not only the goals of the organization going forward, the top goals that we've identified, but, but this value set um, and, and um, different offices have chosen to, you know, take uh, all staff meetings uh, that they do anyway and orient one periodically, maybe every quarter around one of the values and really explore the degree to which they're living those out, how they could live them out even more fully. And, and um, these kinds of things, we're using them to, to celebrate and recognize staff um, when we've been through a tough time uh, and we communicate out to staff about, you know, celebrating, you know, resilience of the organization getting through last year as, as healthy as we, we fortunately did. Um, we make reference to the value set, um, and not in, you know, not in pro forma ways, but in ways that actually it's really true. It's used, you know, so I think part of it is not so much here are the five values, we're going to graph them onto everything, but it's realizing these values are already present. They're, some, they're the things that make people really, that draw people to the organization and, and make them feel it's a distinctive experience working uh, here. Um, so it's, it's also just sort of paying attention to what's already around you and calling it out much more intentionally, you know, and then finally, you know, in addition to recruiting people for this and, and, um, and celebrating it, uh, you know, it also needs to be, uh, around, you know, also sanctions. And if you're letting people go, you know, if somebody does a good job, but in a way that's out of, um, line with that value set they shouldn't stay within the organization and you know anyone coming into the organization should know oh yeah that's the way it's going to be there um and then that has to be the lived experience otherwise they're really meaningless you know so uh so we're we're, this is still a this is uh definitely a work in progress for us uh we're much further along than we were when i talked to you last time we hadn't even sort of identified what they were going to be uh but um but we're still in that rollout and acculturation process 
I, I have to tell you, I love tenacity and, and audacity. I, I just, audacity just made me go, <gasps> I want that to be my value too. So um, I can imagine that it must spark the energy in your staff. And so it sounds like, you know, being virtual hasn't um, gotten in the way of rolling it out. There's, and so then I wonder, the things that I've heard are like, how do you hold people accountable? How do you know if someone is is living the values? How do you, if you're just interacting via screen or documents? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, our, I think that in many ways, our teams have had really intensive engagement with one another because of the virtual, you know, um, uh, situation that, that, that we're in. Um, to some extent, communication has picked up more intensively and the experience that more than, you know, something like 90% of the organization already felt vis-a-vis -vis the headquarters, you know, is what now 100% of the organization feels vis-a-vis -vis all of, you know, one another. Um, uh, you know, we, we organized, um, for a period, we, we organized we're now on a monthly basis doing this, but we were doing weekly in English and French, um, you know, very early DC time, open to all staff, um, briefings on uh, on the pandemic, quick whip around for anyone who wanted to share kind of how they, what they were seeing, how they were navigating, what challenges there were. Um, and, and that was a, a regularized opportunity for people to connect with one another and, and form community in some ways we weren't doing anything like that outside of the functional units who would have their regular meetings or whatever. We weren't doing anything like that necessarily on, uh, on such a regular basis, absent the, the pandemic. Um, so I think the, you know, I was talking to a board member um, just yesterday uh, because I struggled to maintain the connection of the board to the organization, the board, we have a board meeting, board members come in the day before we have dinner together, then we spend the whole next day together. Nobody wants a nine hour Zoom call, let alone a, a call that reaches over two days. So, you know, this got translated into three, four hour, you know, three or four hour board meetings. Um, and we had a couple of new board members and really integrating them in a way that they feel like they're part of the board. They're probably, that was just really difficult. But I talked to a board member yesterday who said, you know what, in, in, in some of our other boards, they've been much more engaged over this last year because of the virtual, you know, reality and stuff. And, and we've struggled at that. So I think, um, you know, it, and, and that's, I'm having one-on-ones with every board meeting this month for this very reason, because last year was such a tough year to maintain that connection. Um, and I'm coming out of those one-on-ones uh, thinking a little bit differently about how we can, frankly, not just how you can engage your board virtually, but how we can do a better job engaging our board stop, full stop. Um, so that, that's been, that, that, and, and probably might, might not have had those conversations absent, you know, what last year, you know, brought to us. And so you said you had struggle connecting your board to the organization. What's the sign that they're not connected? And what's the sign that you know that they are? What are you looking for? So, you know, you've succeeded. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's part of it is the integration of new board members, mm -hmm. um, Those board members who have a history of years of, of the experiences with the organization and with one another, uh, they have, 
I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but they, you know, they have inside jokes. They have, they, they, you know, they get this, you know, and and the the sort of acculturation of new members to that level of community and understanding, like it just it, so that it's been. I think part of the way that I see it is that the newer members, um, it's it's taking a little bit more time for them to just sort of get into the flow of of the of the board, and also, frankly, influence that board culture themselves, right, uh, in ways that we would like to see it happen. So I think that's part of it is is looking at those who were there before the pandemic and those who came on, you know, shortly before or since the pandemic. That's one piece. I think a second piece of it that I've been, you know, reflecting on is, is um, and this is something that came out, um, again, it was sparked by these check-ins that I've been doing, but I think it's something that pre-existed COVID and going virtual. Um, you know, the extent to which you treat your board um, as, you know, the, an accountability enforcement mechanism, the, as the governing body to which you are presenting and you're almost in a performative way that you're, you're performing to demonstrate your competence and that you're on top of things, you know, you may raise strategic challenges or whatever, but you're, you know, to the extent you, you engage with it that way versus a conversation that while recognizing the governance role they have, that you really feel and demonstrate a pure relationship of this is what's keeping me up at night. Um, th this is, you know, and that, that, you know, there, there are organizations where the chief executive is really the only person who engages with the board. Um, we're not like that. We have our whole executive team engaging in the board meetings, but as long as that's the case, I think that, that, that's really wonderful. If, um, if that full executive team feels that relationship with the board and vice versa, that they, that there's that, that level of um, openness and vulnerability can be there. And I think one of the things that I felt is that as we shortened the board meetings and they went fully vir vir virtual and all that, in some ways it it's been a bit more, you know, the presentation to engagement ratio is off. We need more engagement, less presentation. And that cultivation of a, a feeling of, of such trust that you can really go in there um, uh, with that openness. I think we have to. I, have to, I think we have to work on that. Um, and it got, that got exposed to me more over this last year than it had before. But I think it existed before. And I could see. Thanks for for sharing that. I could see that that is difficult to cultivate virtually. It, it can be done and. And it's not natural. It's much easier when we're in person, even, I think so. even though there's still challenges. We're still trying to look good in front of the board. It's hard to always be authentic and open because we don't want to, we want them to think the best. Right? Yeah. So just for you, what are your, what are your, some of your main challenges that you're just looking at in the in the medium term for you as a leader? I need to evolve into myself personally, um, um, a much more effective um, spokesperson mm. for the organization and to some extent in advocacy of the field. I'm not being presumptuous about I represent the field, but, but I need to be out there much more in that way because uh, because we are situated in a field that isn't taken seriously. 
you know, without, you know, we can go into more details about that and talk about what that is, but, um, and the, to the extent that people think about peace building as a field at all, they tend to have pretty outdated and pejorative notions of what that means. I think we might've talked about this last time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I have stepped into that space more, um, you know, it, it's just nice having this conversation right after with my, my first engagement on CNN with my wife, who's a, who her, our fields have converged and, and we're getting more, you know, I'm getting more, I'm starting to build more of a social media presence and more, and being very intentional about that, but I have a long way to go on that. And um, and what's happening in this country, in the U.S., offers an opportunity for that um, that is more ready than any context in my lifetime. So the time is really now to step into that space. Um, uh, so that's one challenge that I need to overcome and that I'm working to overcome. Uh, I think the uh, second one is last year really brought to the forefront issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a way that I think the, you know, in a, in, in a way similar to how I think the Me Too movement raised the bar, a bar that should have been higher to begin with, but, but kind of raised the bar for everyone. I think similarly last year, uh, exposed um, how much higher the bar needs to be, uh, always has needed to be, but a new standard is being expected uh, rightly. And that has had reverberations for me and for our organization. And I say those two because um, for me personally, this has come down to the, the level and increase of my engagement with my daughter's school around these issues. It's come up in terms of the culture process that we've gone through in the organization um, and, and looking in the mirror more around not just the obvious markers, which are important of the numbers, you know, the numbers, you know, of, of who's in leadership, who's on your board, and those things are important in their markers. But when you get beyond the diversity in terms of numbers and you get into the equity and inclusion aspects of it and you start looking at um, who makes decisions, how, what is the culture of the organization in terms of communication styles that are accepted in terms of, you know, I had a uh, conversation with a, a long time uh, UN, very senior, 25 years in the UN. And I've worked at the UN, you know, talking about this and saying, you know, we, in some ways, the UN is one of the most diverse organizations you can imagine. And at the same time, the way the UN is run is a very Anglo-Saxon approach to how meetings are run, what kind of language is used, what it, like, it's very, you know, and so you get a certain kind of sort of engagement from all of the world's nations, right? And so similarly, um, beyond the numbers issue, or kind of what it looks like, and, and, and we have work to do on that front, <laughs> then you've got this... Um, uh, I've been thinking about it almost as the enabling environment. Mm. And I'm, you know, I've been thinking about this vis-a-vis -vis this country, white supremacy in this country more generally, like the, the, and this was with the Me Too movement as well. Like if you're dealing with, if you're dealing with in an organization, if you're dealing with questions of, of uh, sexual harassment, for instance, or you're trying to have a new code of conduct and a culture that's, that's um, really safe and supportive um, um, across gender lines, as an example, the 
you know, punishing the, the really bad behavior is, is one thing. And in, in some ways, it's kind of the easiest thing, although organizations fall down on that all the time. But what you always hear and what you learn when you're looking at this is the much more challenging and in some ways not important, because I don't want to diminish the importance of the, that, that of accountability. But in some ways, the really critical thing and the harder thing to get at is the enabling environment that gives rise to the egregious examples. And so similarly, when it comes to issues of diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, um, looking at, uh, you know, what are the maybe unspoken or unnoticed things that make people feel like they have to have a mask on in their workplace, in our organization that they don't have on you know, in their personal lives, right? And um, and I think we have work to do on that. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, we, we in some ways we've learned some interesting things from our teams around the world because our mission is very much around transforming conflict and that conflict oftentimes plays out across identity lines. Okay, so, you know, we had, and we even had some articles that sort of held up our organization as an example in some ways of, of advancing on diversity, equity, inclusion. I think the examples were really more from our field offices in many ways, you know, where teams, you know, one of our one of our, our leaders in Nigeria said, you know, having come in there and seen the way in which the team socialized and the leadership socialized back from the days when there was an expat director. And so going to the local bar was what they did. It was something that the expat director did and other senior leadership did it. Well, you know, it was almost entirely the Christian leadership in the organization who did that was comfortable doing that. And the, the, the Muslim staff and leadership didn't. And so something small is sort of transitioning that cultural practice. It had nothing to do with the formal job. It had nothing to do with people's responsibilities or roles, but it was a cultural practice that, that formed stronger bonds with the leadership and that led to certain people being promoted more than other. Changing that into potluck meals where people would bring things from home and share them and that that was became more a bit of the social, that was very intentional efforts to address things. I'm just giving one example, but things like that, um, those are the kinds of, of sort of enabling environment uh, and, and cultural aspects that um, that we're needing to uncover and and address uh, and to do that, I do think it's really hard to do that uh, strictly with internal. I think that you have, within six months of being in any organization, I think you develop blind spots. And if you've been in an organization for years, there's no way you don't have blind spots. So we have brought in outside uh, expertise to help hold up the mirror. Um, uh, to us in these conversations and to engage as engaged with our board and our executive leadership team and our global leadership team. And, and we're remain continuing that engagement through this year uh, to help us uh, identify, understand, and then address directly uh, that enabling environment um, um, so that we become, you know, our, our values of empathy and collaboration only become meaningful if you're doing that across truly lines of true diversity, um, it's easy to be empathetic and to collaborate with folks who think the way you do and communicate the way you do. So, so that's, it goes directly to how real are our values or not. Um, and we're not, we're not there yet. Um, that's fabulous. And that's, I'm so grateful to myself that I thought of asking you to come on the podcast because that's exactly what I wanted to hear you know where you guys are how far you're pushing because my experience of of you is that you're out there um pushing beyond what your comfort zone and everyone else's too i'm gonna let you go because i know you have the um 
is it a CNN interview? No, no, I already did that one. Uh, no, uh, I've got a, a presentation that I have to do it, it for. Um, I do have, you know, eight more minutes, but I'm happy to, we can jump off too. You'll give me more time to prep. So that's all I've got to do. I, I will, um, let's, let's wrap it up so that we give you time to get ready. And, um, and thank you so much for giving us the, your time and share your experiences and what, what you do, you're doing at Search. So thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot, Lynn. I really appreciate it. It's really nice to connect with you.